Good afternoon. Welcome to Tom's World Language Cafe, coming to you live from Fishers, Indiana. Now, you don't know where Fishers, Indiana is, maybe? Well, it's north of Indianapolis, about 15, 20 minutes. Well, it's about a half hour north of downtown. And it's now a city of about 100,000 people. But you're going to get a live version of it today. It's a beautiful spring day. It's March the 4th, 4 p.m. in the afternoon. The temperature's 50 degrees. It's a beautiful spring day here. After a couple weeks ago, we had uh, about 20 inches of snow. So now we're we're in uh, paradise for the moment, right? And uh, today we have a special guest who's going to be talking to you. Uh, his name is David Briseño, and David is coming to us live as well from New Mexico. Wow. So we are doing this on Zoom, and we're doing it on Zoom, and I do the audio on uh, uh, the iMac that I have here or that I'm working with in GarageBand. So we're lucky today to have this great guest with us who comes to us with a world of experience. So he's going to be fun to listen to. And he's got a lot of stories he may be telling here and there. So, uh, David, welcome to Tom's World Language Cafe. Well, Tom, thank you so much for extending that invitation and allowing me the opportunity to visit with you and all of your uh, audience uh, through your uh, World Language Cafe. I think it's awesome, the work that you do. So, um, you uh, come to us with uh, an interesting background, right? So, you... uh, were teacher for many years, and then you kind of uh, you went into another area, et cetera, et cetera. Where did you teach at when you started? I uh, my 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 uh, education background, of course. I'm I am originally from a little town uh, called uh, Artesia, New Mexico. Uh, it's known for its football championships. They've uh, that high school there has won a number of high school state championships in New Mexico. And uh, just uh, also known for oil and gas. There's a refinery that, that used to be about two blocks from my, my house where I lived. And so that's where I was born and raised, uh, is Artesia, New Mexico. Great place in the, in the Pecos Valley there. The Pecos River runs through it. They call it a river. It's more like a stream at times. But, but it does have a little bit of water that runs through there. Uh, and uh, we are, we're proud to go fishing. I went fishing there many a time. But uh, I, I currently... Uh, live in Clovis, New Mexico, but I went to, to the university at um, in Eastern New Mexico University in Portales, New Mexico. That's where I got finally got my degree. Actually, I started my my college career at New Mexico State University in Las Cruces, but I was very young, immature, and I forgot that I needed to go to class and <laughs> and uh, you know turn in assignments, and so I didn't last very long there before I was sent home. Uh, Finally got my bachelor's degree from Eastern uh, in um, elementary education with, uh, with the minor in uh, bilingual education. And then my master's was in education administration. And I went to work for the Clovis schools where I spent 27 years. I was in the classroom for seven of those years. I was a building principal for nine years. And then I went really went to the dark side, as uh, my friends used to say. <laughs> I would cross the street, went into the central office administration and spent the rest of my career there. Uh, I retired for a full two days, Tom, and then two days after I retired from education, I started my second career as Director of Outreach, Corporate Compliance, and a couple of other things with La Casa Family Health Center. Okay, David, what what happens here? What do you do in this um, 
in this uh, center that you're at and, and what's going on there? What uh, Tell the listeners oh, about that. You bet. La Casa Family Health Center is part of a network of community health centers that exist throughout the country. Uh, we're, uh, I guess you're, we're a grassroots-run organization. We have our board of directors, and we cover a three-county area here in southeastern New Mexico. We're in Chavez County, which has the city of Roswell, New Mexico. We're in Roosevelt County, which has the... Uh, the city of uh, Portales, New Mexico, and then we're also in, in Curry County, where I live, and the city is Clovis, New Mexico. So we cover that three-county area. We provide medical, dental, and in Roswell, we provide behavioral health services as well. So that's our primary mission is, is to re do that outreach and, and provide those services to the underserved in that area. For many, many years, if you didn't have insurance and if you didn't have cash, you weren't going to get any medical, dental, or behavioral health services. Fortunately, that has changed, and, and with the uh, uh, La Casa has been around for over 45 years. Uh, I've been a, a part of that almost from the very beginning as a patient. I was also a board member, and now I work as an employee. But the work I do there is uh, on the side of outreach, making sure that folks know about our organization. We provide assistance to individuals who may be looking to enroll in the Medicaid program, or uh, now with the insurance marketplace opening up again, I have a staff that that's also trained to to assist folks as they enroll in that uh, particular uh, insurance. We also have several other pieces that we're able to assist uh, our clients with and our patients with. I also am in charge of a uh, summer our senior program. We have two senior centers. Uh, right now, we're kind of shut down. We continue to provide transportation services for those seniors. But we're kind of shut down because we don't want them coming out and socializing too much and exposing themselves to unnecessarily to, to what could be a COVID outbreak or that kind of thing. I also uh, run a summer food service program in the summers in Clovis and Portales. And last year we served over 400,000 meals, breakfast and lunch combined, uh, in a 10-week period. So I stay pretty busy. And along with that, I also officiate high school sports. And uh, I'm proud to say that I am the grandparent of, of seven wonderful children. And so uh, just, I mean, I just enjoy life. Well, wonderful. That's, that's impressive and how you're helping people still, you know, after your teaching career. That, that's amazing. Now, do you do a lot with, um, with the bilingual aspect in your job now? I mean, you I... Know what? I, I do in the sense that uh, if, uh, if, if documents need to be translated or we have a message that we want to go out and they need it translated to Spanish, I do a lot of that work uh, for the clinic. As far as education itself, I, I really had to let go of a lot of things as my job started. As they started adding more to my plate and adding more hats for me to wear, I started letting go of things so that I, I just couldn't handle it anymore. You know, I was a member and a very active member of the New Mexico Association for Bilingual Education, serving as its executive director for a number of years. I had to let that go. I, uh, I coordinated the uh, state Spanish spelling bee here in New Mexico for a few years. I had to let that go. I was a host of a locally produced TV show on a PBS station here and had to let that go so I could focus more on working on this job. And then my, my pet project right now is the uh, National Spanish Spelling Bee. So you can see that I've, uh, as I've gotten older, I have let go of a few things. I'm trying to let go of more as, uh, as that true retirement age starts to come about, but I still stay pretty active in a whole bunch of stuff. So um, with, let's talk about bilingual education for a minute. Um, 
at, oh, here in Indianapolis, for example, and, and uh, even here in Fishers, Indiana, where there are some big high schools, uh, what happens with um, here dual languages exists, but nothing on the scale as, you know, where you are, like dual language study, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Uh, what's the difference between dual language and bilingual education? Is it very similar? Uh, it depends on your perspective and, and, and your experience with it. I, I would say it, for me, it's somewhat similar, but there is a, to me, there's a huge difference. Bilingual education in the purest sense in New Mexico, when it first got started, was an opportunity for non-English speakers to maintain their knowledge base while, at the, while learning English. That was bilingual education. Uh, we worked. We worked hard over the years to get that changed, so that even uh, so, the children uh, who were not English learners would be able to have the opportunity to 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 learn to read, write, and communicate in both English and Spanish. And in the case of, of many of our northern uh, pueblos, they could also learn to 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 communicate in their native languages, which might be Keras, might be Dene, if you're on the Navajo reservation, and a number of other languages that are spoken. So for me, the the, the aspect of, of looking at the difference between bilingual education and dual language education comes in the in the perspective that dual language means anybody and everybody can participate in that educational experience, whether they be uh, learning Spanish as a second language or English as a second language, already know both languages, or, you know, they come at various levels. But we have to provide that opportunity for children to learn and to be able to think, read, and problem-solve in multiple languages, that being uh, English and Spanish in this case. But I can tell you, if you go to northern New Mexico and, and you're around Taos Pueblo or you're around Cochiti Pueblo or or you're on the Navajo reservation, it also means our native languages, that if we don't work hard to preserve them, if we don't work hard so that our the next generation learns that language, those languages become extinct because they're not spoken anywhere else in the world except here in northern New Mexico. So dual language then could be any language, right? Yes, sir. Other than English. So it could be uh, Navajo English, right? I mean, the, right. the Indian language. Yes, uh, it could be Spanish, I suppose. It could be French, right? Absolutely, yeah. So, and uh, whereas bilingual more is focuses what it's uh, in, like in our area, bilingualism in Indiana right now probably would be mostly Spanish and English, right? Right. But out there, it's a whole different game, right? Because you have the native languages. We have the native language plus. Plus, I think one of the most important things that that we are very, very proud of. Number one, Spanish was spoken here almost a century and a half before English ever came into being. It was, it was the Spanish language and the native languages that were spoken. And so that was, that's an important piece. The Spanish language is protected in our New Mexico state constitution. Hmm. There's, there are clauses in there that protect and, and should, I believe, and, and we've used this in the past as we worked with legislators and getting some several laws passed, the Bilingual Education Act and everything else that we've been successful at getting updated over the years. But it, it just is protected. And, and so we're, we're hoping that we continue to, to, to try to make sure that it stays protected and that language is something that is 
looked as an enrichment and not something that holds those students back. So in in Indiana, for example, dual languages is, if I ask people about it, probably in the normal people walking down the street or neighbors, they probably wouldn't know what goes on in dual language classes. So what typically in dual language you would do, let's say it's it's Spanish, English, you would do text and 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 study the Spanish and English side by side, right? You just got well, that's a you know, and I haven't been involved in it for about twelve years now. So there's been some 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 things that have occurred since I've left the field. But I know I my wife and I are both working from home. She teaches in a dual language setting in a dual language classroom at the kindergarten level. So I get to listen to her teach. And and uh, she's teaching, working with her kids, uh-huh. uh, with virtually because that's how she's doing it right now. But for example, the when you look at dual language, you're you're looking at math being taught in Spanish. So one day, and uh, and then after a while, after they learn the the language and the math converts to being taught in English, and maybe science is now going to be taught in Spanish. Uh, well, all the time as they're learning the language and they're learning both languages, they'll be able to interchange that. And their knowledge isn't lost. I mean, when you learn a, a concept in one language, just because you're learning a second one doesn't mean you have le- lost that concept. You maintain it. And so that's the beauty of listening to her teach and mm-hmm. listening to the interaction between her and her students online because she'll interchange between English and Spanish if she needs to to make sure that the instruction is effective for I- each individual student. Right, so it, it's more it's more focused, right? Uh, the, yes, the instruction, so it would be more one on one, right? She's got small group, yeah, but yeah, there's a lot of one on one, and yeah. making sure that kids understand what's being taught. So, probably incredibly effective, right? I would think because it's more one on one. Absolutely, and it's been uh, when we look at the long long ter- long term research and, and start to look at kids who have participated and know more than one language. They are actually, I, I believe, uh, we'll find that they're being more and more successful at, uh, in certain areas, problem solving, because they're able to look at, at it from two different perspectives in terms of language. And I, I think uh, as I began to see some of these kids that I worked with when I was teaching and involved in, 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 the, in, the, in the field, uh, these kids are very, very successful at whatever they attempt. They're doing a great job, and they're still able to do so and communicate in more than one language. And one of the things we stress and I think you understand this, Tom, as well as I do, is that a young person who can communicate in more than one language is going to be much more employable than one, than one that can only communicate in one language. Absolutely, I mean, I, absolutely. In my yes. current uh, position, that's what I look for. It's not. There's a couple of, uh, when I look for an outreach worker, it's not uh, bilingualism preferred, it's bilingualism required. You have to be able to communicate in English and Spanish or I can't hire you. Yes, so. Absolutely. And it's such a plus, right, for the kids, as you said, you know, the fact that it's like being two people, right? I mean, it's, you know, you assume two identities and such a wonderful thing. Yeah. Uh, so what about some of your special memories about teaching? Do you have a couple things that stand out that you really... I, I think I think more so listening to my work because my wife got to work with those young 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 babies you know when they were kindergarten or first grade when she was teaching face to face and and doing the dual language and the transference of that language was amazing I remember one time she came home and she was just laughing so hard 
so hard because of what uh, something happened at school. She, she shared the story that they had uh, gone outside and uh, the kids were out there having a great time and playing and there was just time to come in and one of the kids ran up to where she was waiting for them to line up to come back into the classroom. And the kid said, Maestra, estoy bien cagado. <laughs> of course, we know what that translates to, right? Yes. So, and so my wife panicked. said, what do you mean? Why didn't you come back inside? <laughs> no, maestra, you know I'm pooped. <laughs> he was tired because he had played so hard. Oh, it's but good. it, it kind of yes, put her through a panic, you know, when she, uh, <laughs> when she heard that. And so I thought, okay, that's a good story. Now, that's that, that's that a great, that's a great story. Now, is your wife then, uh, she, is she still teaching? She is. You know, she retired. Uh-huh. Uh, back, what, three years ago, and was going to, she told uh, our kids, because our kids and our grandkids all live here in, in the same town we do, she told the kids that she would stay home and take care of kids for one year. Uh-huh. And then my daughter had a uh, another baby, so she said, okay, it'll be two. And then <laughs> after two, she said, you know what, I'm going back to work because I missed my paycheck. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so she went back, and, and uh, she's been back. Last year, she was in the classroom. Uh-huh. This year, of course, she's been virtual the whole time. So, uh, yeah, she's still teaching. That's amazing. Good heavens. She's still teaching. Now, is, is she of Latin descent as well? She is. Her, her roots are in northern New Mexico, uh-huh. and they can trace their roots back to several generations here in New Mexico. And we, we kid about that because... Uh, and she does this in a loving way, and I don't mean this in any derogatory way at all, uh, but I remember her grandfather asked one time when, when she was telling him about me, she said, Briseño, Briseño, ¿qué clase de nombre es ese? What kind of name is that? ¿Qué es mojado o qué? And is, is he from the other side or what? And I thought, oh, my gosh. So, but then she explained to me that there's a little village uh Elida, which is about 30 miles south of Portales, where she was from. Mm-hmm. And she said, anybody south of Portales, my grandparents considered to be from, from Mexico. So you just had to understand that. Uh, <laughs> they were from good. northern New Mexico, and they're very proud mm-hmm. of that heritage that was there uh, and the culture that they, they brought down with them. Beautiful. It's something they're very beautiful. proud of. Beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. So um, what about this? Uh, what about Guero Loco? Cuando conociste a Güero, eh? Porque Lo conocí yo... en San Antonio. Sí, uh, él me dijo. Fui. <laughs> fui a una conferencia en San Antonio con el, uh, with the San Antonio Association for Bilingual Education, the San Antonio Area Association. I can't remember the full name, but a good buddy of mine, Manuel Ornelas, uh-huh. was the president at the time. Manuel uh, actually grew up in Portales. And Manuel was part of a uh, Chicano theater group that I organized back when I was younger. He mm-hmm. was in junior high. I was in my first year of college there at Eastern. And we organized a Chicano theater group and actually put a few plays together and uh-huh. toured around and did that kind of thing. Well, Manuel grew up, went to, went to college, and ended up uh, teaching and working out of San Antonio, where he became an administrator and that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And uh, so we, we stayed connected. And so I, he invited me to go down to the conference to talk about the Spanish spelling bee. And uh, that's where I met Weddle. And we talked, and I said, Weddle, you're the kind of guy I need to, to represent uh, uh, and, and kind of headline our Spanish spelling bee event. And so he agreed. He spent a couple of uh, events with us uh, where he would uh, uh, kind of emcee the event and 
do some work with us. So I got to meet him then. He actually came down, and I got him some some gigs here in the mm -hmm. southeast New Mexico at some of the districts that I was still involved with. And uh, he actually stayed here at my house, and we traveled a little bit together and had a pretty good time. And we've we, we've yeah. become good friends. He's quite a quite an individual. He's uh, he he. Uh, you know, I had him in class, right? So yes, sir. Uh, I heard many stories about yes. you. So all good things. But but the yeah, the fun thing about Guero was that I in him, he had such a talent, you know, for for learning language. He had the great ear for language mm -hmm. and and very very effective, you know, just the the proficiency side of the thing, and he could think in the language. He was very good at that. And uh, although later in Spanish at, at the high school. He took another class with a grammarian type teacher, and he had trouble with. He wasn't a grammarian, you know. He was, he right. was, he was a speaker. He was a a natural, you know. I always call him natural speaker, and he, he had no Latino blood and nothing, you know. And and uh, it was just mystifying how, how how much ability he had, you know. And right. and I I tried to push him, and he went went to the was talking about the Marines, and I said you should. Try to get it, you know, go to the language school, and he did. He got into Monterrey, you know, the language school there, right? And uh, and got even better and better and better with his Spanish. I mean, it's, and you know, now I mean, he's just he sounds like a Mexicano, you know. I mean, he's very, very good. He's very, very good. He does a great job with the language, and he's very well respected yes. throughout. The, I know that uh, he's yes. been keynoting at several of the big conferences in our yes. area and back in the East now, and so. I told him I hope he just remembers me when he becomes really rich and famous. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got he has such talent, and he, as you said, and he's a good presenter with the kids. They love him. They identify with him, and he's very into the values with the kids, and you know the family values and all those good things. So it's just it's just a, yeah, a, a great good. thing. Yeah. Now I don't know if he shared this with you, but he was used to more of an adult crowd or high school crowd to to. to to entertain and do work with. And I challenged him. When I brought him back down to Clovis and to this part of the world, I said, okay, Widow, I got you a gig at my wife's elementary school. And so you're going to be presenting to kindergartners, first graders, and so I don't know how you're going to do it, but you got to figure out how you're going to keep their attention because they're a whole different animal than that high school kid. And so he said at first he was really intimidated by that whole thing, but I don't know if he shared this story with you, but he had to really, really push the envelope with himself to, to get that ability or to get that courage, I think, to go work with those kindergarten kids, those five-year-olds, those six-year-olds, because he had not had yeah. that experience before. Yeah, and he's so good at it, you know? He's yes, so, he so good he at it. he did a great job. Well, he, he, I'll, I'll share a little story with you, and I, I don't think he probably didn't tell you this, but we did a video. Uh, we did a couple of videos. We did wrapping the variables when he, he wraps mm -hmm. the variables. And then we did wrapping the alfabeto. And uh, we we were going to record record the uh, wrapping the variables, and we didn't have any place to record. And, you know, and this is kind of a shoestring budget we're working on, right? Oh, absolutely. And so my, my uh, friend who does editing for me, he did the video. So he shows up, and he's got all these great cameras, and he... We're in this place that a friend of Guero's uh, loaned him, and he thought this one guy was going to give it this one place. He didn't. So we were desperate, and the guy said a friend of his had a place, and it was a, a bar that they had closed. <laughs> so it's uh -huh. 20 below zero, 20 below zero. It's a true story. In the dead of winter in January, we recorded the video, the Verbos uh -huh. video. 
And we did it, and we were in there maybe three hours, four hours. We did it in three or four hours, but it was incredibly cold in this place. And they had left the place, so there was no heat, right? So we're in there right. with no heat. Well, but it turned out, but when you see the video, it's beautiful. It's, it turned out to be a beautiful video. I have video. seen it. I have seen the video. Well, you probably, yeah, it's a great video. And uh, then we filmed part of it on a horse ranch uh, outside of the city and beautiful little ranch, and we did that, and... He was riding the horses, and it was a good, good thing, really good thing. Um, so, anyway, uh, we're going to talk in a minute about this this spelling bee. I'm going to save it for a couple more minutes, and okay. because I think we need to really zero in on the spelling bee for the listeners. Um, David is uh, in charge of and started the National Spanish Spelling Bee, NSSB. NSSB, and uh, it has grown tremendously from 10 years ago when he started it, and it's for students from uh, fourth grade to the eighth grade, and uh, what a great thing, and there there's our national awards, and uh, he's going to tell us about, well, let's do it now, uh, David, okay. what do you think? Okay. Well, back, uh, back in 1994, New Mexico started uh, with the first uh, state Spanish spelling bee. And I got involved with it because at that time I was uh, a building principal, quick, still involved in bilingual education through at the state level with the state advisory committee, that kind of thing. So I was at the conference and got to, to see and hear what was going on. And so about uh, seven years later, I became the director of bilingual education in the Clovis schools and quite more involved in the association at the state level. And so I asked the question, I said, hey, so where, where do they go? Uh, to what competition do our student, do our winners go to after they win the state competition? And they said, oh, it's, that's it, it's over. There's no, there's no other competitions for them to go to. And I said, well, why isn't there not a national competition or a regional competition for them to go to and participate in? And they said, well, I don't, we don't know. So that's when about, I would say about 98 is when the idea was planted in my mind uh, of starting or working with people to start a national competition, a national Spanish spelling bee for our kids to participate in. And then around, uh, I would say it was about 2009, Tom, my wife and I were driving through the mountains near Las Vegas, New Mexico. We were going on vacation. We had our trailer hitched up. We were going to go camping and get away from everything for a while. And I get a call from Carolyn Schuster, a producer with uh, ESPN. She had been doing a Google search and seeing our information uh, on the New Mexico Association for Bilingual Education website about uh, the state Spanish spelling. And said, hey, do you guys have this state event? Do you know of any national events? And so at that point, this, this, I just thought, wow, what a, what a great conversation. I says, no, but I have really thought strongly about organizing an effort to, to put a national event together. And she said, well, we'll work with you on that because we want to replicate the success we've had with the English spelling bee. And, uh, so we met, I even went down to uh, New York and met in their corporate offices there in New York City. That was pretty, that was, that was exciting for this little uh, <laughs> guy from the country here in New Mexico to be in that type of a setting, but got to meet with him there. We talked. And so we said, okay, we're just going to go ahead and start with the first 
annual National Spanish Spelling Bee. At that time, I was still involved with the New Mexico Association for Bilingual Education. Their board of directors committed to supporting it financially because you want to talk about a shoestring budget, Tom. This has no budget. No budget. You know, in fact, some of the expenses just come straight out of my pocket, and I'm very dependent on the host organization to, to cover the expenses that we have. And I'll talk more about that later. But anyway, so we went ahead and started uh, working on putting together the 2000, the National Spanish Spelling Bee for 2011. And we were able to get four states involved. That would have been uh, New Mexico, Colorado, Texas, and Oregon. A good friend of mine now uh, had come back, was from New Mexico, had come back from Oregon and had many contacts there, so he helped us get that. We have a natural alliance with Colorado, and then we had some uh, connections here in West Texas with a couple of folks and, and got it going there. So we had 11 contestants that showed up from uh, those four states. Uh, it was a great time. It was, uh, we, we, the host hotel was there in Albuquerque, New Mexico, also had a water park. So what we did is we wanted to have a combination of work and play. We had everybody travel in on Thursday, and that still is a schedule today. Friday morning was spent uh, in orientation and going over the rules and having the practice round. And then Friday afternoon was in play. We, we got tickets to the water park for everybody and the families. And here's what we discovered that first year. This event was not only a competition, but was also an opportunity for families to gather, to spend time together, quality time together. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget, one of the dads from uh, the, one of our contestants in New Mexico was just down the road uh, in Los Lunas, New Mexico, which is about 30 miles from Albuquerque, came up to me and he said, you know, I just want to thank you. Te quiero agradecer. ¿Por qué? And he explained to me that he was working three jobs so that his family could survive and that he just literally maybe could say hello in the mornings before they went to school, maybe a good night as he was between jobs, but he really didn't get to spend a lot of time with his kids and his family. Hmm. And this was after our Friday afternoon event where he actually got to spend the day with his son and his, and his, uh, his other kids and his wife. And I think he was almost in tears. In fact, I get very emotional when I speak about it because I think it's one of the things, uh, one of the benefits that we got from bringing this together is that families come together and actually spend some quality time when at home they may not have that opportunity to do so. And another benefit that we found quickly was that friendships were forged across the country. As people came together, yes, it's a competition and people wanted to win. I noticed kids cheering for each other. I noticed kids hoping that somebody wouldn't miss a word. It wasn't like, hurry up and miss it so I can win it. It was like, get it right, get it right, get it right. And I, I saw that. And you can see that in the competition. I've been involved in competitive, uh, in competitions for over 37 years in, in, as an official. But that was a huge benefit I saw in this competition. These kids coming together, families forging friendships uh, that weren't there before. And so... As we started to grow and other people became involved in it, uh, last year, the last year we held it face-to-face -face, or the competition because we postponed it or canceled it last year in 2020. In 2019, we had over 50 participants from 16 states. 
So it's grown quite a bit over the years, and we hope that it continues to grow uh, as we move forward. So that, in a nutshell, is the National Spanish Spelling Bee. And like I shared with you, it is a shoestring budget. There is no budget at all. We're totally dependent on the organizations that host it. For the first five years, it was the New Mexico Association for Bilingual Education. Uh, after that, it was the it, we went to San Antonio for three years, and that was hosted by Region 20, the uh, Education Service Center. Uh, Region 20, I think uh, Texas has 20 regions, they're the 20th. And then uh, this past year, it was hosted by the Colorado Association for Bilingual Education in Denver. Mm -hmm. So we've been through three states, and we continue to, to, to grow, and uh, exciting times ahead, I hope, for, for, for the event. Now, this year, it's virtual, correct? Yes, sir. We decided uh, that after we had to cancel it last year, we took a look at what was going on this year in both our states and across the country, and we figured that it would probably be, probably be best if we were going to hold a competition that would be held virtually. And I think we've learned enough over the past year on how to deal with Zoom or other meetings. And, and, and so we have some great ideas as to how we're going to do that. Plus, I think we got some ideas from the English Spelling Bee. I've got a document that they allowed us to use uh, making recommendations on how best to hold a virtual event. Because here's the bottom line. You're hoping that that student who's on the other end of the camera is going to do so in a very honest and, and have the integrity to make sure that somebody isn't helping him or her with the spelling of those words, right? So we have an integrity pledge that they got to sign those types of things that we're developing. And so we're hoping that uh, we can have a very, very successful event. That, it kind of reminds me a little about we, uh, myself and a, a, a gal that taught uh, Spanish, uh, she's no longer with us. Her name was Edra Staffietta. You probably don't remember Edra. Uh, she was uh, very active in, in uh, the teaching of Spanish in the United States and pretty much all over the world. Great teacher and educator. But anyway, we started this uh, program in Indiana, the uh, uh, Indiana State Academic Competition in Spanish program. And uh, we kind of, it's very similar, it's interesting. But we started, and uh, we started out in... Uh, we didn't have any money to start in the same type thing, but we did run into a, a fellow who uh, was the owner of a travel uh, company to, for trips to Mexico, and he made a donation of uh, $2,500, and that really helped, and, and we had, which enabled us to get trophies, and we would have competitions. We had, uh, we had all kinds of competitions. We had uh, speaking competitions, listening competitions, um, we had reading competition, and uh, where they just sit down. And there, some of it was live skits. Mm -hmm. They do skits in Spanish, and singing, etc. And do you know that thing this year? I think it was the thirty-fifth year that it's been going. And, oh, that's awesome! Uh, we, that's we, awesome. We, we we were very fortunate, and we, great teachers throughout the year. But it, we kind of modeled that after the one in Florida. Florida has a big uh, Spanish contest, a huge thing, and it's thousands and thousands of kids, and uh, an impressive thing. And um, there was a fellow named Lewis Lillard down in Florida who used to do a lot of, uh, helped a lot with their program. And uh, But uh, I, I admire you very much for starting that. I, I, it's just a great thing, which brings back memories of my, my middle school teaching. You know what? The most 
fun we ever had in class was? We had spelling bees. The okay. kids loved it. No, they actually loved it. And I got to high school, and they loved it too, right? I mean, right. every they loved to try to spell in Spanish, you know? Uh-huh. And uh, it was, for me, and I, my wife did it in her classes, and the kids got more, had more fun out of that. And that's why I hope we can help you in Indiana, you know, that we can get some people involved here that could be of help, right? Or, or for the listeners, if they want to start, a, a spelling bee in their right. area, right? Mm-hmm. And get a hold of you and get involved. How would they do that? You know, that's really easy. Uh, in fact, I'm glad you asked that question because I think if we can start a national event, basically on a shoestring budget, and just by just getting the word out, I think you can start a local event with the, and without any kind of budget. Uh, and it's real simple. I, I do. They can contact me. They can they can go to our web website which is uh, nationalspanishspellingbee.com, just, just the way it's spelled. And uh, we do have some resources online. I, do, I did put together a how-to booklet, how to organize a school-wide, a local, a regional event, and uh, put some, some pointers in there that people can follow. And so if, they're, if somebody's interested in organizing, let's say, a school-wide event, they want to know, what do I do to do it? We can provide them with that booklet, which gives them some ideas. Hey, you got to get your judges together. You got to get a pronouncer. Pronouncers are very, very important in this whole thing. Over the, the I've I've been involved with uh, fifteen different, uh, actually over fifteen years of spelling bee. And uh, I remember one year we went to uh, an event, and the pronouncer we had lined up happened to be estaba embarazada. She was uh, about in her eighth month, of, and so she didn't want to stand up for the three or four hours, five hours that it took to get through, this, through the spelling bee. And so we got one of her colleagues who spoke Spanish very, very well, very, very proficient in the language. However, the, his, his voice was not one that was uh, easy to hear the words does that make if that makes any kind of sense yes yes it does totally <laughs> makes sense. well you know the other problem is we used to have that here in our sometimes with uh, the uh, listening uh, te- little quizzes in our, our competition and sometimes uh, uh, and it happens in the classroom as well but you know in the, in, in Spanish too you're talking about the people who who read right. etc there's such a, a a huge variety and in, in differences and similarities in the pronunciation of Spanish. It's enormous, right? Oh, I mean, you, you go from Mexico where the people cantar, it's like they sing, you know, hola chico, que hace? And it's like, yeah. sing. Then you go to España and it's dice and hace. And then you go to Cuba. Cuba is there. And I mean, they, you know, so they're, and in Sudamérica también. And it's, so it's sick. that's why spelling's so good, though. You know, I mean, you get it, and if if you have different people, I imagine you probably do. And but it would be a challenge, you know, really a, a fun thing to do, incredible thing. So let's say there's a state that wants to do a spelling bee, you know, from four fourth grade to eighth grade, and then participate in your national event. They could do that, right? There could be yes, some schools get together and say, hey. We're going to do an event, or one school, or there could be four. There may be a state organization, Spanish organization, says, hey, we'd like to do something for the 
middle school. I kind of lost you, but I'm going to follow up with a couple of things there. I, uh-huh. I think, and hopefully you can you can hear me. But yes, what I would recommend is if they're going to start a state event, okay, you you have to kind of take a look at and uh, probably number one start working at organizing some school events or some uh, regional events so that those winners can funnel to the state competition. What you don't want is uh, every school in your state to send a contestant to the state competition mm-hmm. because it could, becomes too big. But here okay. in New Mexico, for example, every district that wants to participate can send its, to- its winner to the state competition. That gives us usually a competition of about uh, uh, 50 to 55 contestants mm-hmm. for the state competition with all the districts sending their winners. That's doable in one day because this competition starts at nine in the morning and you're hoping that it, that it will end no later than three or four o'clock in the afternoon. But, but I suppose that like a state organization like the ATSB or something in right. Indiana, if they wanted to, to start one and they could pick a winner, right, and, but have yes, regional competitions, et cetera, then uh, that person would go and be in your final, right? Your national thing, right? Right. Yes, sir. That's sure. what we would say. So the, the, the work that goes into putting it together is identifying the individuals. Of course, you get the word out. You set up a date. We're going to do this. We recommend that you use our word list. That way your mm-hmm. students and your winner who's already, who's going to come to the national competition has already had a little bit of time studying that word list and knows what's what's there even though we don't guarantee that <laughs> every word in the competition is going to be from the word list we might pick one or two that are not part of that word list because it is a spelling competition and so we recommend that they that they that they use our word list and it's free of charge to use and download or i can they just email me and i email them a copy of the booklet we also provide them with a um, study guide for the students, it's the all the words in the word in the booklet that are in alphabetical order, and it provides them with a definition and a sentence, which is just another step in, in the learning process. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that teachers can use to to do that. Plus, when they get ready for their competition, I can provide them with a competition ready word list. And what I've done is we've actually taken these words and we've got them in six categories from what should be the least difficult to the most difficult. They use one category at a time. And what I do is I put them in an Excel spreadsheet and I randomize the order of the words. Mm -hmm. And I can change that overnight or I can change it any way. But that provides them with what we call a competition-ready list of words to use during the competition. So you don't have to go, we're going to go every third word or whatever. You just go down the list and it's already randomized uh, by the computer for, for your use. Beautiful. That's beautiful. And it's, it's just a wonderful idea for the, for the fourth through eighth grade, which kind of gives them something to, to look forward to, something that's, uh, to show that they really are interested in Spanish or the spelling part of it and in really right. meeting other people, as you said. Uh, what, what a great idea. Just super. And, and I say that because there aren't many contests for kids of that age, right? that are live, you know, that live, and you could have them live in your school, and then they could go on to your, your event. Right. Um, so it's nationalspanishspellingbee.com. So yes, sir. they could go there and get info and get in contact with you, right? Yes, sir. My contact Beautiful. information is on Beautiful. the website. 
uh, email address, the whole bit is there. And we're looking for anybody. We're also looking for sponsors. So if there's somebody out there that has a pocket full of money and doesn't know what to do with it, okay. and they want to contribute, we're willing to do that. We've had some great sponsors in the past that have okay. helped us to put this on. And uh, we depend on their assistance as well as we're, again, we're, 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 we run on a shoestring budget. We don't charge too much for the, for the registration. We do charge a little bit. But here's what we do, Tom, that, that's different, I think, than, than most. We recognize that the expense of traveling to the National B, wherever it's being held, is enormous, especially, for example, if you've got a family of four, they're flying, that's going to that's gonna be some big bucks real quick. So that's coming out of their pocket. We don't pay that. Right. The expense of the hotel room comes out of their pocket or their sponsor's pocket. And it doesn't come from us. We can't provide that. So what we've decided we were going to do, and I make this a condition for, for anyone who wants to host the event in their state, uh, the Colorado Association has agreed, agreed to it, the uh, Region 20 agreed to it, New Mexico Ave agreed to it, and that is that we have to provide beginning with breakfast on Friday morning, the meals through Saturday evening. So we're going to provide breakfast Saturday morning. We're going to provide lunch uh, it's on, on Friday, it's Friday morning, lunch on Friday. And then generally they're, they're on their own Friday evening and they're out and about. So if we don't provide any meal then, they're on their own then. Saturday morning we provide breakfast. Uh, lunch on Saturday is provided. And then we have the awards dinner uh, on Saturday evening. Now, now how many people... Um from each state is there just one per state no there's more there could uh, no, be no no we've had multiple people from the state again because we're a young uh growing uh event right uh, it, we could have up to five or six people from the state seven okay. or eight now california is a huge state we've had up to six i believe from different uh, districts in the state right. participate in the national spanish spelling bee oregon sends their top three winners they have a state competition they send their st- top three colorado they have a state competition. They send their top three, or as they did this year, their top five, because they're the host. New Mexico sends its top three uh, from the state competition. And then in Texas, we had, uh, I think, uh, El Paso, Lubbock, San Antonio, Dallas, Fort Worth, Pflugerville. We had, I'd say, close to 10 from Texas mm-hmm. that, that, that came up. And that was all because they were from different uh, regions in the state and so we allowed that to happen they don't have a state competition or a regional competition so so the um it's just a great idea and uh, i hope everybody out there listening if you know some middle school teachers elementary school teachers uh, there's a lot of spanish in indiana now in elementary schools uh, and middle schools uh, get in touch with those people and have them go to the website national spanish spelling com and get in touch with David so we can get something going around the United States. In any, any state, and not just Indiana, but any of them, you're all, and I know there's, uh, we have quite a few listeners from Ohio, Kentucky, Michigan. Uh, so try to get the, the people involved, right, and do something really, really fun and positive with that. David, congratulations on that. What a great idea. Just super well, idea. Fun. You, yeah, well, you've done a lot with that. That's astounding. Um, now, let's talk a little bit about uh, what languages. Do you? Speak, I know you speak Spanish. You speak speak English. Do you know any other languages? Well, you know, I I consider I consider myself trilingual, Tom, and I'm going to tell you why. I do speak English and Spanish, 
and I speak Spanish as a, I learned Spanish as a second language because when I was uh-huh. growing up, my mom was uh, my mom and dad both I believe were grew up in a, at a time and in an area where they were punished for speaking Spanish in school, so they made sure that we weren't going to have to deal with that and. And so English was my first language. Of course, I understood Spanish because I would hear my parents mm-hmm. and my grandparents speak it all the time. In fact, Tom, I was uh, I was in shock when I first saw, you know, I didn't watch a lot of TV growing up, but when I did watch, I, I remember watching the Beverly Hillbillies and Granny, who was this old person, was speaking English. <laughs> and I was just in shock because in my world, here's what I believed. I believed that the younger you were, the more English you spoke. And that as you grew older, you spoke more and more Spanish until that's all you could speak was Spanish because that's my world. It was me. I was young. I spoke English. My parents spoke both. They were bilingual mm-hmm. because they had to live in both worlds. And my grandparents, who were old, old in my mind, mm-hmm. all they spoke was Spanish. So I figured that by the time I got to be their age, that's all I would speak was Spanish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was my world. <laughs> but I did learn it as a second language. So, but, but Tom, I'll tell you this. I, I kid about it, but I think there's some truth to it. I can also speak Texan. I'm close enough to Texas that I had, I've had to learn to speak with that drawl. And every once in a while, I'll catch myself talking like one of them there Texans. And I understand the U-Alls <laughs> and the... <laughs> well, <that's... laughs> we, kid, we kid about it. So I, I, I consider myself trilingual. Yeah, there, there's a lot of that in the U.S., right? In the States, too. Yes, As sir. you said, I mean, the States... I mean, the, the English difference in the States is enormous, right? Right. I mean, you talk about the Texans. you got Indiana people. We have a drawl, too, you know, not nothing yes, like the Texas drawl. But Indiana does, and then you get on the East Coast, and it's a whole different game. And you get around Chicago, and it's, uh, I want a cup of coffee and coffee and oh, uh, yes. all the yes. strange things, you know. Well, the Spanish in, in New Mexico is the, the differences from northern New Mexico yes. to southern New Mexico is, is huge. I mean, I my wife and I deal with that all the time. <laughs> Not so much now, but when we first got married, she'd call something. Someone's, what, what do you want? You know? <laughs> we, <laughs> now, oh, yeah, was, was a pot to me, and she called it something else, and I thought, I don't know. <laughs> but years ago, years ago, when I got into teaching, in, in Spanish, and uh, it there were some Latinos in Indianapolis, not very many. Now, you know, it's a pretty huge population right. in Indianapolis now. And uh, there weren't many in the day, but in the United States, it's it's really amazing how the the culture is, is really impacted our country. You know, the, the Latino culture is enormous, you know, with uh, you know, you got car models named in you know Spanish words. You've got foods. You've got uh, everywhere you go. The, the influence is incredible. Clothes and uh, and it, it, but it's a beautiful thing because we're all Americans, right? This is right. all America. Mexico is is uh, North America, and so you know we've got all these uh, great people and the South Americans and the Central Americans here. And so we've been very blessed, you know, that we've been able to do this in a really pretty peaceful way over the years. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's worked its way out. You know, the things seem to, to work. So it's, it's amazing, like this, this culture idea. And which is one of my questions I want to ask. What about okay. the teaching of culture? Why is culture so important in language you know, learning? I think uh, culture is tied to language in a big way. We can't talk about Nuestra Madre 
without understanding the importance of our mothers to our to us in the Hispanic culture, right? Mm-hmm. Now I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here, Tom, because we'll probably agree to disagree without being disagreeable on this one. But I do not believe that you can teach culture because mm-hmm. cu- culture is something that is lived, something that you experience in your day to day life. Mm-hmm. Now we can learn to observe culture, we can learn to, to read about other cultures, and the most important thing I think that needs to be out there is we need to learn to respect those cultures, because I can tell you right now that I grew up in an area, and still we see some of it, it's not as bad as it used to be, where people like myself were looked upon as second-class citizens, that we were looked down upon. I can't tell you how many times I would walk into a classroom or be in a situation and there would be someone telling me, oh, you speak English so well. I'm thinking, okay, so what's the big deal? But what they were trying to tell me that because of the color of my skin, they were surprised that I was able to speak in that language. And I, I that even happened to me in one of my college classes, mm-hmm. at which time I was a little more outspoken. Other times I was very respectful because my parents would bop me upside the head if I was disrespectful to another adult. But at the point I was in God, I said, man, I says, I don't know why you're asking me that or why you were expecting me to speak as some, some idiot, but I would hope that you are not coming at me with that type of a racial stereotype. And she, of course, was very, and all of a sudden this whole big argument cut out in class, and I finally just left the class and came back the next time and said, let's start over. Because number one, please don't tell me that again, and number two, have a little bit more respect for my ability, you know, and understand well, that, that I am that, some kind of dummy. Yes. That's an interesting about the culture and living it because uh, when uh, language learning, if you go back a ways for language learning, it used to be the culture, the concept of culture, even as it was presented, was vague, right? We used to have these, yes. we used to have books about grammar all the time. And then finally we'd get a little culture put into the books. But then the culture that got put into the books, it would be a, it would be a paragraph. Right out of one chapter, there's one little mm-hmm. paragraph on football, football Mexicano, or you know, we get something on um, uh, modismos Mexicanos or whatever. But it'd be a little paragraph. But there was no real life. There was no language was not lived. Right. Mm-hmm. And then over the period of years, we finally got some pretty good books, and we got you know we ended up with a video. There was a a book called Dime. I don't know if you ever remember Dime. It was done in um, 19, probably in the early 90s, 1990 maybe. And the author was Fabian Samaniego, who lived in, in uh, New Mexico. Uh, yeah. Fabian Samaniego. It was a great book, but it had all this beautiful video that went with it. And it was heavy culture, you know, about the topics, La Comida Mexicana, and the people couldn't identify. Then the next step we had was we got started getting kids into the country and teachers, right? And that there was the Rockefeller Foundation was giving grants to teachers back in the 80s to get them into the countries. And so the teachers got involved in the culture, brought it back to the classroom. And it's been, that part has really been a positive thing in in language learning. The teaching of culture, because teachers started going to the countries more, they lived there, they wanted to go back. And we got people living with families, we got people communicating and getting a feel for the culture, doing projects about the culture. And so I think, but I totally agree with what you said, it has to be lived, right? 
Well, that's, that's your experience, Tom, yeah. and, I, and I can assure you that I agree with you 100%, because yeah. when you would go and travel to San, San Luis Potosí or other, other right. communities right. that were different than yours, you had to exist within that culture and respect that culture, or else you were going to be yes. uh, not accepted. You weren't exactly. going to be a part of whatever exactly. was going on. So when you would do that, and you would go in and you would respect, and you became friends, and you did all of that, you began living whatever culture they had yes, at that time exactly. in that community. Exactly. But the other thing about culture that I believe, and I'm not in any way a PhD or anything else like that, but I think culture is all, culture is always evolving. The, yes. I look at my, my kids. Their, their culture is not mine. <laughs> no. We share some things because we raised them, and we raised them to, to, with certain types of uh, ideas that the, who they were going to be and what they were going to do. But they also have their little separate culture that they grew up with because it evolves and it changes. And, and, and so as they grow, as they have their children, their kids are going to have a different one as well. And we had, we get a kick out of talking about different terminologies and, and how kids talk today and the little, uh, I don't know, modismos they use. And, and so what my brother does, he throws them right back at him. And then of course his, his kids get mad at him because you're not using that right. You're not saying that right. Right. <laughs> But but it, but it, it's a, it's it, it's a beautiful thing when you love the culture and that's why we I, I mentioned our summer programs we have right. awesome. Madrid awesome and, and Havana and, and Guadalajara and one of the reasons we do that and it's called Aventura Aventura Cultural and there's a huge emphasis in la cultura and and what we can do to to bring it to the teachers and get them to go back. And, right. and do yeah. neat things with uh, their kids, and many of them do. And what we found is that the more teachers travel and do things like this, this is an adventure. Every All our classes are in the street. Everything's in the street. We don't go in a classroom for class. Right. It's all out live. And uh, But it's it's a whole different thing. That As you said, if they can get involved in the culture and, and live the culture, anybody the kids the students the teachers um and and things it, it makes all the difference in the world It'll, it's like when you if you were going on a trip and you just wanted to see the country you went to madrid and you wanted to see the monumentos and i had friends of mine say, so i was in madrid and i know all about madrid and you know if you haven't lived in the neighborhoods in madrid a little bit and gotten used to all those neighborhoods and and getting around on the metro and spending quality time in the neighborhoods, you can't know anything about Madrid culture, you know? And it's the same way in Mexico, right? If you don't get out and get on the streets and talk to the people and, and you know, go out and, you know, we used to have, where I used to stay in San Luis Potosí, we used to have, there'd be a little neighborhood party every week in a different house in the neighborhood. The people bring their guitarras and they taught me all this musica ranchera. And so when I go in Mexico someplace and they say, I, ¿quién puede sugerir otra canción? And so, you know, and I'll, I'll say, oh, sí, Serenato Huasteca. And I'll say, Serenato Huasteca, and they're going, ooh. And then they'll say, I'll say, yeah. el rey, el rey, ella, ella. Me canto, they did, you remember that one, me canto, they said. Oh, yeah, me canté de rogarle. Sí. And, uh, Pero sigo siendo el rey. And, but, but anyway, so I got so when I go places and we'd, we'd be at a mariachi place and I'd be able to sing them and they couldn't believe that. And they'd say, how do you know those canciones, Tomas? 
How did you look? I saw him murder them in his casa. And we'd have yeah. this little fiesta once a week. And these people come in and they love La Musica Ranchera. And, you know, in San Luis, they love their music. You know, they love the, the Musica Mexicana. Everybody does in Mexico. And uh, it's just such beautiful music. And uh, if anybody hasn't been to Mexico, there was, there's Jose Alfredo Jimenez, right? The great composer. And Agustin Larra. Oh, yes. All those great people. And, uh, uh, um, ¿Cómo se llama? Jorge Negrete. I mean, all these great people in music in Mexico. There's probably no country in the world who's had the gifted composers that there are in Mexico. And we don't hear enough about them. We, you know, we don't hear enough about them. So, uh, but listen, I'm going to let you go. And you've been a great guest. And uh, I know that one of the things I was trying to do, and I think we did it, was we kind of laid the foundation to talk more about dual languages. And the reason I say that is my next three guests after today are involved in dual languages. Lucero is going to speak. That'd be yeah. our show. And um, I can't remember his name. Luis, who got the Grammy Award. Okay. He's going to be in the show. And then Guero's going to be in the show. Awesome. And so we're going to try to focus a lot on dual languages and um, and get involved more with that in, in some of the great programs that are going on uh, in the United States. So, listen, you've been a great guest, and I appreciate all of your knowledge and and we're very lucky that to have someone like you as an educator in the United States and all the great things you're doing and continue doing. You just continue going, right? And that's the best thing, right? Just, just like the Energizer Bunny, right? We just keep going yeah, and keep going. We do. <laughs> it's fun, though. But you're like, it's, if it's fun and you love it and, and things, and you, 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 you can tell you love helping the kids, and, that, and that's what this is all about, right? And if we can help them, and then we, you know, our life has been worth it. So thank you so much, and um, we'll be in touch. Okay, and uh, All right. well, and Tom, thank you. For